already at Psalm 73, and yet at the same time, it's hard to believe that we're only in Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we gather this evening here, what comfort there is in the reality of that truth that we have just confessed in song, that you, our God, are near. And Heavenly Father, we know so often from experience the peace that passes understanding. We find our, our hope when our hearts and our minds are stayed in you. And we take our eyes off of our circumstances and we look to you, our faithful God, who sees, who hears, our God, who is near to us. Heavenly Father, even as we look at this passage this evening, may our eyes turn from our circumstances and see you, our big God, so powerful and yet so close to us. You love us. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here. And waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly, who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said, I will speak thus, Behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. Surely, you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream, when one awakens, so, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant, I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart fail. 
But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I've put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all your works. Psalm 73. As we come to Psalm 73, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, we were in Psalm 72. That was the last psalm in the second book of the Psalms. As we come to Psalm 73, we're coming to book three of the Psalms. Psalm 73 through 89. And the, the main focus here in Psalm 73 really kind of sets the stage for the rest of the Psalms in this book three of the Psalms. As the main focus in all of these psalms will be on the, the, the importance and obligation of holiness. I should say the main focus of the majority of the psalms here in Psalm 3. It's on the importance and obligation of holiness. And you say that, see that very clearly here in Psalm 73. On the worth of holiness. You may notice here at the beginning it's a psalm of Asaph. And it starts with a true confession. Actually, it starts at the end of the psalm. The psalmist has already worked through this issue in his mind. This is a road he's already gone down. So these first two lines here in verse 1, this is the conclusion that he's come to through these circumstances. The conclusion that he has come to is this, that God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. That's a statement of fact. That's what he's come to know and to see. God is faithful to his covenant people. How is it that he got there? Well, that's the rest of the psalm. And what you see here, there's really two halves to the psalm. Verses 1 to 14, and then verses 17 to the end. And really what you see is that it comes in verses 15, 16, and 17 is a change of perspective. And that changes everything. It's kind of like when you're a child. I remember many times as a kid when my dad would, would tell me something, we'd be in an argument or something, he'd say, you'll, you'll understand when you're older. You'll, just, you'll get it when you're older. You'll thank me when you're older. That used to drive me insane. But now that I'm older, for many of those things, I do thank him. I do look back. I've grown in respect for him as I, as, as, as I see, as he was seeing. See, what has changed between when I was 15 and now, you know, at 32, is my perspective has changed, right? My perspective has changed with age and with uh, experience. And what you see, like you see here in this psalm, is that a change in perspective often leads to a change in response. As I look back on those times when my dad said, you'll thank me when you're older. You'll understand when you're older. I look back and I thank him for that. I see more clearly now because my perspective has changed from what it was when I was 15, 16, 17. That's what you see in this psalm. You see a change of perspective that changes the psalmist's response. 
And you kind of see as you work your way through this, you see first the psalmist's doubt in verses 2 to 14. It's broken down into what the psalmist sees, verses 3 to 12, and what the psalmist feels, verses 13 and 14. And then you'll see, verses 17 through 24, what the psalmist sees again, this change in perspective. And then in verses 25 to 28, how that changes how the psalmist feels, what he sees and what he feels. He starts out with this statement of fact, of truth. This is what he's come to understand. God is good. Then he jumps in. Verse 2, with an honest confession. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. So he starts with this statement, God is good. But... My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had almost slipped. So how do you get from stumbling and slipping to seeing God is good? That's what we see throughout this. My feet had almost stumbled. My steps had almost slipped. What does he mean by that? Well, he tells us in verse 3. I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. In fact, he goes on in verses 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. He's explaining to us what he saw and what tempted him, what led him away, why it was that his feet almost stumbled and he nearly slipped. He was envious of the boastful, envious of the wicked, jealous. Why? Because I saw their prosperity. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They have no fear of God in life, and seemingly, from the psalmist's perspective, they have no pain in death. Their life is easy. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. As he looks at the wicked, those who disregard God, those who live according to this world, who do what they want, He sees them thriving. And then he looks at his life. And he is not prospering. He is weak. He is in trouble. He is plagued. And he's envious of them. Really, his envy is probably blinding him. They they do have trouble. They are plagued. But that's not what it looks like to him. He is, he's blinded by envy. They have no trouble. Their life is perfect. For pride serves as their necklace. Their life is good and they know their life is good. And they parade around in their, their pride. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. These wicked aren't blind. They see how they prosper. They see how the righteous suffer. And they mock not only the righteous, they mock God as well. Therefore the people return here, waters... uh, And waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? 
They mock God's people. They mock God. And this is what baffles the psalmist. Verse 12. These are the ungodly. And they are always at ease and they increase in riches. He's asking an age-old question here. Why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? Why do the righteous suffer? Why is life so hard? And here are the ungodly. And they're always at ease and they increase in riches. And they have no problems. And then notice in verse 13 and 14 how what he sees as he looks out, as he looks at his life, as he sees the wicked thriving from his perspective, notice how he feels then. Surely I have clenched my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence for all day long. I have been plagued and chastened every morning. His observation leads him to question his faith in God. These are the ungodly. They are at ease. They increase in riches. And, and here am I. I've cleansed my heart. I have washed my hands in innocence. And yet all day long, I am plagued. I am chastened every morning. So maybe I am doing something wrong. Maybe they have it right. Maybe God's not good. Maybe he's not who he says he is. Maybe they have life figured out. What he sees affects how he feels. Verses 15 to 16 is kind of a, a break in his address. It's almost as if he, he, he pauses and now he turns to the audience and he's kind of explaining this, what's going on inside. If I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. The danger in voicing his doubts. He's saying, he's being very honest. This is really what I'm struggling with. As I, as I look out there and I see the wicked thriving and I see the righteous suffering, I am really struggling with this. Is God good? Have I cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence? Is this a waste of time? And he admits here, if I, if I had said, I will speak thus, if I had spoken this publicly, if I had voiced my doubts, I'd have been untrue to the generation of your children. I think there's, there's some wisdom in that. If you have doubts, if you are struggling, seek help. Talk to someone who can sit down and pray with you and, and, and point you to God and, and open the Bible and read it with you and encourage you. But there's danger in broadcasting that doubts can drag others down. That's what he admits here. 
And when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. He's overwhelmed, and there seems to be no good answer to his question. Until he turns to the Lord. That's what we see in verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. There's a complete change in focus here in verse 17. As he looks around, he cannot understand what is happening. He doesn't understand what God is doing. But then he comes into the sanctuary of God and he understands their end. Notice, it doesn't say he understands what God is doing in the moment. It doesn't say, and, and I understood why their life was easy and my, why, why my life was hard. I understood why, why God was submitting me to this, um, to, to this to being chastened and plagued. I understood why, why everything seemed to work. He, does, he doesn't understand that. What he understands is their end. What he understands is his circumstances in light of eternity. W. Graham Scroggy says this, There are some problems which intellect cannot solve, but which communion with God will resolve. There's some problems which intellect cannot solve, but which communion with God will resolve. He doesn't come to the answer because of his intellect. He doesn't come to understand, okay, this is exactly what God is doing. But as he communes with God, he sees his problems in light of a big God in the context of eternity. until I went into the sanctuary of God. The idea of either the the temple or the tabernacle, where God was, God's dwelling place on earth, a place of public worship. I think there's something for, for us to see there as well. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Don't overlook the value of gathering to worship the Lord. There is value in worshiping and gathering with the saints to worship your great God. Many times when people are going through something difficult, they'll avoid church. I'm just, I'm not ready to go back. And sometimes there's some good reasons for that. It's, you know, when you, when you go, everyone wants to talk with you. Sometimes you're just not ready to talk. But you need to be in church. In fact, one time I was talking to someone and they said something very similar to that. I'm just, I'm not ready to go to church yet. And um, in the situation in which they were in, I, you know, it seemed that makes sense. You know, okay, I can, I can see that. And I was talking to Krista and she goes, but church is where they need to be. And she's exactly right. Church is where they need to be. Don't overlook the value of gathering to worship the Lord, of gathering with the saints to sing praise, to sit under the word of God. Don't uh, overlook the value of having a brother in Christ ask you how you were doing and sit down and pray with you. That is powerful. That is a privilege. 
And you may not feel like it, but I promise you it'll be an encouragement to your soul. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, the presence of the Lord. Then I understood their end. It's not just the idea of gathering as a church. It's the idea of even going to the word of God. It's just generally the idea of going into the presence of God. Then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery paces. You cast them down in destruction. Oh, how they were brought to desolation in a, as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors. The dream, when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. The wicked are like a bad dream, which one often, as soon as he awakens, the, the wicked are like a bad dream, which one forgets as soon as he awakens. Their well-being is fleeting, MacArthur says. The psalmist's focus changes. It is turned from the immediate and temporal to the eternal. Yes, my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. How foolish and mindless to ever doubt God. Yet, even in the midst of my foolishness, as my eyes were turned to the immediate and the temporal, and I was tempted and I doubted. Even in that, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Even in his foolishness, God never left him. In the midst of the doubt and the darkness, God never left him. You hold me by my right hand. And then in verses 25 to 28, you really see how this has affected what the psalmist feels. Not just what he sees now as his perspective changes, but how he feels. His, his whole mindset has changed. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. I need nothing in heaven or on earth but you. All these vain things of life that tempted him, that almost led him astray, they're as nothing compared to his great God. There is none on earth that I desire besides you. And whom have I in heaven but you? My flesh and my heart may fail. Notice there the changed perspective. He had longed to be free from suffering and plague. And yet now it's not health or riches that he desires. My flesh and my heart, they might fail. That's not what matters. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God will never fail me. It is God that matters. For indeed, those who are far from you, they shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. Again, returning to the idea of their end. Their end is destruction. But it is good for me to draw near to God. 
when overrun by doubt, draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. It is a big view of God that heals a broken and doubt-filled heart. Change your perspective. Go to the word of God. Gather with the saints and sing the praises of your great God. Sit under the preaching of the word. Gain a big view of God. How great and awesome and magnificent he is. And watch your doubts shrivel away as your perspective changes. That I may declare all your works. Again, now he's circling back the idea of public declaration. He did not declare his doubt, but now he's thrilled to declare God's great work. Look what my God has done. Look who my God is. And so this is the road that has led him from almost stumbling and nearly slipping to proclaiming with confidence in verse 1, Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. God is good. It is not Asaph's circumstances that change. It is Asaph's perspective that changes. He takes his eyes off of the temporal, off of the immediate, and he looks to God. May God give us an eternal perspective in light of his greatness. A big God and an eternal perspective makes the problems of this world seem small. They're still there. Nowhere in this psalm are we ever told that things turned around. Nowhere in here are we ever told that, that, you know, all of a sudden then Asaph had abundance and, and Asaph was thriving. It doesn't seem that anywhere in here his circumstances change. He's still in the same circumstances. What has changed is his perspective as he takes it off of his problems and puts it on his God. Look to your big God. Gain internal perspective and find encouragement. I hope that's encouraging to you this evening. It was encouraging to me as I was studying it. Uh, in fact, I was thinking as I was studying it how perfectly Psalm 73 ties in with Habakkuk that we started on Sunday morning. And how we'll see, uh, just as we've kind of walked this road with the psalmist as he starts at, at doubt and, and, and fear, he's almost stumbling and almost slipping, and then he ends with the confidence in God. That's the exact same road that we'll be walking with Habakkuk over the next several weeks. As we saw this week, as he starts with a, a hunger for God's holiness and a question about what God is doing, and yet by the end, he'll be rejoicing in the Lord. So 